Ready to get going? Me too. All right, let's see. Verse 1 of James chapter 1 says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. We talked about this section last week, and it's important for us to understand what happened last week to understand the context for this week. Last week, we, as we looked in the book of James, we learned that James is the half-brother of Jesus, who once doubted, but now believed Jesus to be the Son of God. He's writing to these people, these Christian people, who are, he describes them as in the dispersion. He is using Old Testament imagery symbolically to talk about where they are, that these are people that have been put out or have been scattered abroad because of persecution, and they are living in a place that is not their home. Now, the parallel is pretty easy to see. James is writing to believers who are not in their homeland. Here's the thing. We are believers in Jesus who are not in our homeland yet. We are, as the Bible calls us, especially in, the, in books of First and Second Peter, we are pilgrims, sojourners. This is not our ultimate home. We are bound for a better land, and that is heaven. That is the new heavens and the new earth. That is to be with God forever. And so this letter has so much to say to us because we fit the same bill as these people. We may not be scattered across the Middle East like they were and what's now in now Europe, but we are scattered because we are not yet home. And he's writing these people that are experiencing various trials. Various trials. You know what that means? Various testing, various difficult times. If I were to have you raise your hand, if you've had a difficult time in 2016, I'm not going to do that, okay? But if I were to do that, I bet you some of you would raise your hand. And I bet you some of you are looking forward to 2017 big time. A lot, a lot of weird stuff has happened in 2016. Just bonkers stuff. And some of you may be experiencing trials of all sorts and, time, and types. And that's the good news because James is speaking to various trials. He says, count it all joy, brothers, those who have trusted Christ, Count all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. All of us can think about the trials that we have been through, right? Whether it's a health issue, a family issue, whether it's a financial issue. I'm sure the financial issue most of us are having is not like, I have too much money, what am I going to do with it, right? <laughs> it's just falling out of my pocket. I need a bigger wallet. That's not, probably not the financial issue you had. It could be a spiritual issue. You could, be, you could be fighting against the sin, and it seems that sin keeps winning. You don't want it to win, but it keeps, it keeps kicking your tail, if, if, if we could say that. You may have encountered various trials. And so James, right off the bat, he, tell, he told us, and we looked at this last week, you need to make the decisive choice. You need to make a choice that you are going to count it joy, which seems insane. But the only reason you can look at your problems and look at your trials and tests and say, I, I see joy in this, is if you see the hand of God at work. Because we see in those verses we looked at last week, he says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete and lacking nothing. 
So here's the deal. Here's how you can have joy in difficult times. When you as a believer look, at, look to your father and know that everything he's bringing in your life is working to persevere and complete you so that you will be lacking nothing, then you can look at everything in your situation and say, I can see joy in it because God is at work. Now, why do I bring that up? Because verses 5 through 8 of the, the, that we're going to focus on today picks up this idea of lacking and moves down into verses 5 and 8 and talks about it even further and helps us understand. He, James is proposing something to us that's very difficult. Look at your difficult situation and find joy in God in it. That's not easy, Right? And we're not talking like dumb, grand Christianity that, that seems to like not act like they have a problem. No, we're talking about a choice that you say, I will, I will trust that God brought all these circumstances into my life for a reason, for my good, and for his glory. Now, there's a time period, though, where it might be so difficult for you that you're tempted towards bitterness. God, why did you bring this here? How could you do this? How could this, these people do this to me? I don't want to love my enemy. I want to hate my enemy and throw things at them. Nobody? <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> okay. I don't want to love, man. I don't see your hand in this, God. That's why James tells us, here's how you deal when you know you should count it joy, but you don't feel like it. Here's what you should do. In verse 5, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. When we're at that place where we're experiencing trials, we know we're supposed to count it joy, we know we're supposed to see the hand of God in all things, we know that he's working for our per perseverance, we, see, we know that up here, but we're having a hard time expressing that in faith and living that out. What do we do? The Bible is really clear. It says this, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. So when you're at that place where you know what you should be doing, but you are at the point where you don't think you can, what are you to do? You ask God, which is praying. A lot of us have a phobia when it comes to praying. And here's the phobia. We feel like we have to come up with some type of rosy words, some type of eloquent speech, especially when we're praying in front of other people so that people will note, hey, look, that person really knows how to pray. You've probably seen this pompous, pompous attitude. I've experienced it in my life. I've probably been guilty of it more times than I care to admit. But you think, oh, heavenly God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray to you and beseech thee on behalf of my congregation and of my soul, which has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I pray to thee, oh, heavenly Father, that you might smite all my enemies and raise up thy horn of salvation. You're welcome. That is stupid. Asking God is talking to him. I like to hear my little boy pray because he just asks for whatever's on his heart. 
And sometimes you're like, we need to correct that later. We'll work on that. Okay. God, thanks for candy. And give me a lot of candy. And make mom and dad see my need for candy. Okay. I mean, that's, but sometimes they'll just say, my, my Nana's not feeling good. God, help her feel better. And you're just like, yes, thank you. Thank you for praying that way, son. Because that's what, it's just to ask. It's asking our father. It's talking to him. Listen, even the best prayers in the world, I think I could say prayers, I don't know, ones who pray, they have to have the Holy Spirit intercede on their behalf, and they have to pray with the go-between of Jesus. So we're all, we're all beggars when it comes to prayer. And so here's the beauty of it. He says, if you lack wisdom, if you're having trouble counting it joy, and the transition is here between the word lacking, if you lack wisdom, if you're in this place where you lack something that keeps you from counting it joy, ask God. Ask him. For what? Look in the text. Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Wisdom is an important idea. Throughout the scriptures, James being, being Jewish in origin, okay, now a believer in Jesus through grace of Jesus Christ, he was brought up in the Hebrew scriptures, and understanding of Hebrew scriptures is understanding what is righteous or right to do, and then having the wisdom or having the ability to do it. See, a lot of us think of wisdom as you go up to, you know, you may have a, a kung fu version of wisdom. What do I mean by that? You know, in the Kung Fu movies, the guy is searching for a wise teacher, so he goes, and fi- goes on a high mountain peak and enters into some temple, and he finds some man sitting there with an awesome Fu Manchu mustache that hangs down low, and he comes and he says, teacher, teach me your wisdom. And the wisdom is so... It's far out esoteric philosophy that is way out there that teaches him to open his mind and to see differently everything. That is not the biblical idea of wisdom. But that's sometimes we have a kung fu mentality that we're just, we just want to go to that person. Who, a wise person is the one that has all the quote-unquote answers or makes you think about something in a way that is enlightening. No, wisdom in the Bible is to know what is right or righteous or godly and then to be able to do it. Wisdom is practical. Wisdom is not high-mindedness. Wisdom is knowing God because we know in the, in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. James would have known this very well. In fact, most of the first chapter kind of reads like Proverbs. Little beats here, little pieces here of, of, of wisdom, little tidbits of knowledge. And so we have to understand that wisdom, when you ask for wisdom, you're asking to understand what's righteousness mentally, what, what is righteous and good mentally, but also for the ability to do it. So let's go back. Let's follow the train of thought here. It's loosely connected, but connected nevertheless. He says, count it all joy, brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds, knowing that the Lord's producing in you perseverance, let perseverance have its good work, that you may be complete, lacking nothing. But if you do lack, if you do lack the ability to look into your tough situation and to see God's hand and to find joy, if you lack that wisdom, 
which is actually knowing what's right and to do it. So you know what's right? Right is to look at every situation and see God's hand in it and try to find the joy of God in it. If you lack that ability, which so much of us do, we do. We fight against it all day. We want to get bitter when the things come into our life. We want, to, we want to get angry. We want to get discouraged. We want to be beat down. We want to be depressed. We don't want to be, but that's just how it happens. How do, how do we look at it and find joy? Well, we, it's simple. We ask our Father to give us wisdom, the ability to understand and discern righteousness and to know how to do it. So it's as simple as asking. It's that simple. Hey, God, I know I should be counting it joy in this thing I'm going through, but I'm having a tough time. I need your wisdom to know what to do and how to do it. So he promises if you ask, he'll deliver. It's that, look in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you lack the ability to count it joy, if you lack the ability to see God in everything, if you're having a tough time in whatever various trial that you're going through right now, if you are suffering with that, what should you do? Let him ask God. And how does God give? Who gives generously to all without reproach. Coming to God in faith, asking for things, asking for wisdom, you have to believe a couple of things about who he is. You have to believe that he is generous. Some of us have a very stingy view of God. We think that God is a stingy God, that he is holding back on us, that he doesn't want to give to us generously. Listen, he does, but he doesn't want you to have a Rolex or a Ferrari or your life to be perfect. He wants your holiness and you to know him better because I want you to know something. Let me hear you. Let me just put this out there. Stuff will fade away. You buy a car, as soon as you buy it, it starts depreciating in value, right? I mean, you drive it off the lot and it drops like 5,000 bucks. Just for driving, it was it, you drove it a foot, okay? You signed the paper, you lose money. You, everything you have is subject to decay and loss, okay? If you don't believe me, just look at this building, okay? I mean, it's true. Don't push the bricks too hard. You might take one home with you. <laughs> Stuff is not ultimate. It is temporal, can't take it with you. He is not so much concerned about what you have as he's concerned about who you are and where he's taking you. And so I want you to see that. God is, God is in the business of giving generously. But I don't want you to get some idea that God's in the business of, of, of giving generously. So if I have enough faith, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double, triple my money in my bank account because I got faith. <laughs> a theological term for hogwash, okay? All right? I may need to say that to someone today. Every time you hear some, a preacher on TV talking about fourfold, sixfold, return on your money, you just go, God doesn't care about that. So low-minded. Ask for wisdom, and he will give it generously. 
God does not hold back good things from his people, especially wisdom. He gives it generously, and then it says this, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you ask, it will be given. He gives generously. You have to think about God that way. He's not holding back on you. He is a generous one. He's not stingy with his wisdom. He will give it if you will ask, and he will not, he will not reproach. He will not revile the person who asks. I talked to already. My son's out of town, so he won't ever hear this one, okay? He loves candy. He's four years old. Candy is, part, is like his life, okay? And he will eat just enough regular food so that candy is a possibility, okay? And he will come with this sheepish look. <laughs> Dad, can I have some candy? I ate all my food. And he's like, I had his arguments already. I ate all my food. I, ate, I did. And I brushed my teeth real good, you know. I, I'll brush them. I'll brush them, I promise. If we give me candy. He's like, we're bargaining here, and he knows I'm going to be stingy with the candy. Unless we go on a trip. When we go on a trip, like a vacation trip, I ain't stingy with that. Right? He comes, and he's ass, and it's like, yeah, bud, Pudding, lollipops, okay? Home's different, trip's another thing. I want you to get this. When you come to God, he does not revile you when you ask him for wisdom, it's not like asking for candy. It's good for you. He, if you come to him asking wisdom, ask for wisdom to understand your trials, to see him in it, and so that you may make the right choices, that you may glorify him and grow in your faith and holiness. If you ask him to help you, help you see wisdom, he will give to you generously. That is good news. Because I am so not wise. And I want you to know something. He does talk about, and we're going to talk about how, how to ask and how not to ask in a second. But I want you to know this. I don't want you to think here, because when we're talking about asking, we're talking about praying. I don't want to give you the idea that I am a beacon of prayer. I struggle, probably of the, of the spiritual disciplines, I struggle the most with prayer. So hear this today. I'm encouraging you to pray as much as I'm encouraging myself to pray because faith, because prayer is an expression of faith in our God. And it is a deeply spiritual thing to do even though it seems to be the most difficult thing to do. And here's the thing. A lot of us, we don't ask because we don't trust Him like we should. We don't ask because we don't think he'll come through. We don't ask because we don't think he is generous. We don't ask because we do think he will revile us. We don't ask because we, we think he will say, do you know what you did? Do you know who you are? Do you know the things you, you know who you are? You know your inconsistency and you're asking me for something? What is wrong with you? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? And the questions remain why don't we pray and i think it comes back to faith because we get here in verse six how we are not how we are to pray and how we are not to pray verse six says this but let him ask in faith faith in what faith in god not faith in faith faith in god the one who is generous who will give without reproach at the core our lack of prayer shows our lack of faith 
That cuts right to my heart. If you're going to ask, we must ask in full faith that our God is good, He is generous, and He can deliver. Then we go on and we see this in verse 6, and this we're going to find out about how not to pray, okay, which is very important. There's a way to pray, asking faith, and there's a way not to pray. The way not to pray is this. It says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Doubting, this word doubting, that it can, it can be deceptive because the actual word is kind of indecisiveness. It's kind of the, real, is the, the meaning of the Greek word there that we translate doubt. Indecisiveness, divided mind. You've probably been around some... In, I'll ask a question, and I just want you to see if there's some indecision. Where do you want to go eat? You been to that one? You married? God bless you, okay? All right? Where do you want to go eat? I don't know. I don't know. What, how about you? I don't know. You? I don't know. You? I don't know. I have been, I have been blessed in my life with some wonderful, wonderful ladies that live. Uh, 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 my mom and, and and my wife and many other wonderful ladies, and not a single one of them know where they want to eat ever, like ever. And I have been afflicted with this disease of making decisions. <laughs> I do it. Fairly easily, but I don't want to all the time, you know. You just sometimes decisions require too much effort, am I right? I don't want to deal with that. That's a big I mean I make decisions about everything every day. I don't want to decide about eating. You pick something. No, I don't know. Okay? You're laughing because you've been there, right? Divided heart, and some of it, what it goes down to. I mean, get into the psychosis of it, okay? Um, and it co- goes down to this. It depends on what kind of person you are. Some of you are fail, you're not a decision maker when it comes to that because you're thinking about other people. You know, like, I don't know. This person likes this, and this person like that, and I don't want to make a decision that might hurt this person's feelings. Okay, so there's an indecision because of you're thinking about other people. Some of it is you don't. You really don't know what you want to eat. Well, I had Chinese food last week, and there's just a divided indecisiveness. So the idea here is is not just doubting. It's indecision. You can't decide. You haven't made a decision who you're going to trust is the idea. Ask, in verse 6 it says, let him ask in faith with no indecision, with no doubting, with no divided heart, or as he will talk about it later on in this section, double-mindedness, which is a, this kind of idea of double-souled, which is this idea of this, who have you decided is Lord? Who have you decided is worthy to be trusted? Who have you decided is in control? Or have you decided that he's in control? Are you still, is it still pending? And asking, we, how are we supposed to ask? We're supposed to ask in faith, trusting in the person of God, that he's generous, that he gives, he can deliver, he can give us wisdom, it says, asking that faith, trust in that God, not doubting. 
not with a divided heart, trusting that he can give. I'm convinced in my own life that the reason that I do not ask is because there's indecision in my heart. I honestly can tell you, looking at my life, I think I can fix my life. That's why I work at it more than I pray about it. Look at even things when it comes to church life. I can work the problem, and I don't have to go to the... I can fix it, so I don't need to ask about it. I don't need wisdom in it because I can see the dotted line. I, am, I, have, I have reached a place of indecision and divided heart. And even in my in action, it is shown there. And I want you to know something. This is a call for us to be dependent people. A call for us not to be self-reliant. A call for us to seek a wisdom that far surpasses what we can come up with on our own. Because I want you to know something. We might be able to fake it through life with our own decision-making. But what happens when it falls apart? And the answers are taken away. And our strength is sopped up. What are we going to do? And then to prepare for that moment, we need to begin right now as people who ask. People who don't have divided hearts, but people who see him as the only giver. And run to him and ask him. Like little kids who can't get anything for themselves. Like all the blessings are on the top shelf and we're like two foot three. <sighs> There's no way. There's not a stepladder big enough for us to get them. So we come and we ask in faith. Not with a double-mindedness, knowing he's got all the answers. He's got all the wisdom. He has got, all the, he's got everything we need to be able to count it joy in the tough times. We must come to him like that. Because here is the ramifications of being a doubting person. It says in verse 6, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I will never forget, you probably remember, you've probably been to the, I spent a lot of my time, most of you guys know I'm from Florida, spent a lot of time in the water, um, on the beach. And it's just funny to watch where you go out there and you're having a nice time. And before you know it, you're kind of riding the surf. And before you know it, you can't see the people you were with anymore. You can't see where your blanket was or your, your, your beach, you know, set up. And you're just talking, having a good old time before you know it. You're like, like it seems like a half a mile from your stuff. Oh, man. And you got to walk by, walk back. It's an example of of what it is to doubt, to be to drift, to not have a, a rooted, firm foundation. It's the difference between the doubting he is talking about is it says if you doubt, you're, you're unstable. You're pushed and pulled by life. The ups and the downs are so big, and there's no anchor to hold you down. That is what it's like. You have, your heart is divided. Sometimes you trust God. Sometimes you trust yourself. 
Sometimes you trust your own wisdom and you rarely ask because you're divided on who's Lord. You're divided on who's powerful. You're divided on which, which way is right. You're like a wave that tosses things around. And we need to be less like me on a float at the beach and more like, you ever see one of those buoys that's attached that they use to mark where ships can and cannot go? The waves and the wind blow against those, right? And they move. They're not unaffected by those things. Am I correct? But do they ever stray too far? No. Why? They're anchored. And he already talked about various trials. And, and he says, count all joy, brothers, if you experience trials of all types. Our lives will be filled with trials and storms and many things like that. We're supposed to ask in faith, believing he's generous, believing he can deliver, believing his wisdom is better than ours. We don't pray doubting with divided hearts, Right? Because those who, those who pray with divided hearts, it says in verse 6, they, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. is, is like this unstable thing. And we don't want to be the ones that, that get pushed around. We want to be the ones who, who are like the buoy that is anchored deep, that we, are, we have our feet are firmly planted in truth, that we are dove, dug down deep. And though the storms come and we are affected by them, we won't be destroyed by them and there will be stability Thank, I'm thankful for God for stable people in my life I hope you are there's an example of stability that I, I can tell you something that, that we need to see because that is mature stability equals maturity in so many ways and we need stable people People are not stable in the sense that they're carrying a good job, which is good, and, and, and they do what they say they're going to do. You need people like that, but you need people who are stable and rooted in their faith. I'll give you an example. One of the people that has been the most stable in my life through the ups and downs has been my dad. When everything's breaking loose and I, have a, I had a problem, I call my dad, Dad, I don't know what to do, okay? I am 33. Yes, I still call my dad, Dad, I don't know what to do, Okay? Not about everything. Not about your problems, okay? I'm the pastor. He's not, okay? I want you to think about, what did he tell him? Okay, no, he doesn't know about that, okay? I got an issue. Call dad. Because he's been that stable, mature per person, one of the stable, mature people that God has put in my life. And I see his maturity. And oh, that God would raise up people in this church who are stable people who are grounded deeply in the Lord that people can run to to learn stability. Some of you who are there, you need to take some people under your wings and to help disciple them. Some of you who are at that place where and you're still beaten, battered, and, and your, your indecision still remains, you need to run to people like that. And most importantly, we all need to run to the one who is stable. Don't ask with a divided heart, he says. Because if you do, you are all over the place. Verse 7 says this, For what person, for that person, who's talking about the unstable person, the one who is doubting, the one who has a divided heart, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So here's the ramifications of doubting. The first one is this, you are unstable. 
You'll be pushed around by life. You will not have anybody to run to. You are on your own, and so your life will be a series of ups and downs and chaos without any wisdom or anchor to keep you st- stable. If you fail to ask, if you ask in doubting. The second thing you see here, if you ask incorrectly, you ask with a divided heart, is you will not get what you ask for. Do you know why? Because God wants, you to, God wants to show himself faithful. What do you mean? If he were to bless you by answering your prayers, when you asked with a doubting, divided heart, you would think that asking with a divided heart is completely fine. You would be rewarded for an ungodly behavior. He wants you to see your great need for him. It's for your good that you see how needy you are. And he will not give wisdom in those situations because you're, you're, you're kind of asking it as kind of an insurance policy. I'm asking for your wisdom in case my plans don't work out and I need the lifeboat or the ejection seat or the parachute. And he says this, for that person, the person who doubts, has a divided heart, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Must not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. You may still receive something from the Lord because he's just beyond gracious, right? How gracious is God? How much does he give when we don't deserve but he doesn't want you to go around thinking that if you come divided with a divided heart that you will get what you asked for. He may give it to you anyway just because of his grace, but don't suppose that's how he works. He's not. He's concerned with your holiness. And then it goes on, and it finishes up in verse 8, and he talks about that person who doubts again. He says, he is double-minded, double-souled is actually one way we could translate that. He is a double-souled man, unstable in all his ways. You will, if you're not right now, you will encounter difficult times. The command is to count it joy seeing that the Lord is producing something in you. If you're, lack, if, if you're having problems at that, at that point where you're having problems seeing God's hand in it all and you're having problems counting it joy in the tough times you need to ask for wisdom. God will give it generously to you if you ask for it. But there's a way to ask and a way not to ask. We have to ask in faith, trusting he's a good giver, trusting that he has the answers, trusting in his wisdom. We cannot pray, we cannot pray with a doubting heart, a divided heart, because we will show ourselves unstable. We, will not, we should not suppose we will get what we ask for, but the Lord will work its way to show us our desperate need for him. We don't want to be unstable. We want to be mature. We want to be those who have wisdom. Right, don't we? 
I hope we do. Our divided hearts. One of the remedies for our divided hearts is prayer. To work at it. So here's my challenge to you. Something I'm going to do myself is I want you to, when you leave here today, the concrete thing, you're supposed to ask God. But some of you may be having, like me, you have problems with prayer. You just are not as consistent as, as you need to be. So here's a, here's a concrete thing that you can do. Call someone on the phone and tell them, I am not very good at praying. Maybe you're, maybe you have any, any, there's a wide variety of things that you could not be good at when it comes to praying. You could be praying and then all of a sudden you fall asleep, okay? Yeah, maybe you don't need to close your eyes. Maybe you need to pray standing up drinking coffee. I don't know. Secondly, some of you do not know what to pray. Scriptures is some answer to that. Just start praying through the scriptures. Third thing, some of you may not make the time to pray. Nobody has time to, in the sense of, unless you make it. You don't have time to do anything unless you make it. You can be busy and not have a job, right? You can be busy, and, and like, people are busy even if they don't have anything to do. They stay busy. If not, just turn on keeping up with the Kardashians, okay? People don't do anything, and they're busy. They're always stressed about how busy they are. Don't watch that show. I'm just kidding, okay? I, you can be, unless you make the time you want, and that's one of the things that I, I'm, gonna, I'm calling a friend of mine Monday and saying, I don't pray like I should. I want you to call and check on me and let's have a weekly conversation about whether or not I'm praying. And I imagine he is going to want to do the same thing and help stay accountable. Make a phone call because I want you to know something. We are all lacking. And we all need wisdom. What do you have to do to get it? Ask! But you can't ask with a divided heart. And you show that you're fighting against a divided heart if you labor to ask, right? Right? Like, you wouldn't waste your time if you didn't think it would be worth, worth your while, would you? It shows your faith and your willingness to, to crucify the, the divided heart in us that we would make an effort to pray. I want to tell you something. If this church turned into a praying church, it would be a juggernaut for the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about we would fill the doors up. No, I'm just talking about God would hear us. And he would work for his kingdom in us if we just asked for wisdom. So I got two things. If you're going to leave with something, ask the Lord for wisdom and call a friend to help you pray. That's pretty simple. What did you learn today? What did you take home from church? Sometimes you're probably like, I don't know. That guy just yelled at us for like 45 minutes. I don't know how long it was. That you can go home. Ask the Lord for wisdom he'll give to you and call somebody to help you pray and stay accountable because we are, have to crucify our divided hearts. 
and come to the one who is worthy and the one who will give and the one who is generous and will not reproach us. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. Thank you for Jesus. Help us be people who ask. And help us ask in faith. And remove our doubting hearts. And as we labor to crucify our doubting hearts through your word and through prayer, bring people to our hearts that will help us as brothers and sisters in Christ to help us stay accountable to prayer. Let us ask without doubting. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've entered a part of the, the, the service this morning. We're going to ask Tiffany to come on forward. It's been a big couple of weeks for Tiffany. Um, last week, her and Austin came up here with their little boy, Finn, and they did a parent-child dedication, which was awesome. Guys, this is Tiffany Hutspeth. Did I say the last name right? Perfect. I was hoping that I did because I sometimes get that, I get a little tongue-tied. So um, Tiffany um, has a story. I'd like to share a little bit about her testimony before we put her in the water. It's cold. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do water last second. Um, Tiffany um, grew up, and she believed in God generally. Um, she knew there was a God. She knew he was all-powerful, but by her own account, she was kind of, that was, a, that was a, something she believed, but was an abstract principle and something that was just kind of there for a while. She met this guy down here named Austin who follows Jesus, and her faith got a wake-up call through him. He started sharing with her about who Christ was and who Jesus is. And she trusted Christ. And that generic idea of God translated into her understanding the one true God revealed in scriptures through the one son, Jesus Christ. And she has trusted Christ as Savior. And so it went from generic to personal, just like that. Am I right? Am I, am I walking with that? All right. That's... that's that, it's her story and my words. So I want to make sure we were, we were rocking with that. And so we talked a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she wants to express her faith and proclaim it through baptism. And we want to make sure what we understand what baptism is for those of us here today. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward Reality, and this is Finn, by the way. So he's got to go. Look, Finn needs mom. That's awesome. He is stinking cute. Okay, all right. You are too, Austin. All right. So um, I felt like you were being left out. All right. So <laughs> faith, the, baptism is an outward symbol of something that's happened inwardly. It is a proclamation that you believe that Jesus' death burial and resurrection was vicarious. It was a substitute for you, bearing your sins, and that now you follow him, and that his death was for you. His, his perfect life was for you. His death was for you, and his resurrection is for you, and now you will follow him, and you will give your life for him in obedience and discipleship. That's what this represents. And so, Tiffany, 
Are you ready to express and proclaim your faith before God and these folks? All right. Well, we'll get you in here real quick. turn you the other way around because I can't dunk you in that part no, either. There you go. Just one more. Just turn it a little more counterclockwise. There we go. Scoot over this way some real quick. <laughs> We're freezing her out here. Okay. All right. If you would, just grab my arm. It's my honor to baptize Tiffany in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, that's cold, isn't it? She's awesome. All right. <laughs> Following Jesus ain't easy, and it starts at baptism, all right? So, especially here. Um, as Tiffany uh, continues to, to, you know, dry off and everything, and we want to invite you to do something with us today. Today is the day we pack our Thanksgiving boxes. We have a food ministry here at the church. Um, we uh, provide food for about 40 families uh, on every, uh, two times a month. And this, this time we're going to get, this Sunday, we're going to get to be able to fi- provide Thanksgiving boxes. Um, so here's the plan. As soon as we get done here, everyone is invited to go over to Hartsville Taco to purchase their meal separately, but eat together. Okay. We're going to do that. And then one o'clock, we'll show up back here. So in case you want to go somewhere else, like Hartsville Taco is not your jam and you want to lock quesadilla or whatever. Um, we invite you to come eat with us, and then if you want to come back, 1 o'clock, we're going to pack the boxes and give them out. It's a great time. You will not want to miss the fellowship and the, the experience of giving to folks who really, truly need it, okay? So that is today. Right after here, or after we get out of here, head over to Hartsville Taco. We're going to eat 1 o'clock. If you don't want to eat a Hartsville Taco with us, be back here, and we'll be glad to help you pack the boxes, and we will have a good time with that, all right? Make sense? Good deal. Also, one just one, one quick reminder: on December the fourteenth, we are going to go Christmas caroling. That's a Wednesday night. It's going to start about six thirty, six or six thirty. We'll have a definitive time soon, and we're going to go Christmas caroling and then eat soup back here. And we'll need you to help make the soup because there won't be soup to eat unless you make the soup, and we'll do that together. Okay? That's December the fourteenth. To get more about that later, um, let's stand, and we'll be dismissed with this. God, you are good to us. Thank you for that, this new life in Christ that we've celebrated today. And thank you for her proclamation of faith. God, we pray that we, we would honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.